I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Shark. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo. Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is March 29th, 1982. We are at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles, where Johnny Carson is presiding over the 54th annual Academy Awards. We've uh, seen the winners split between a bunch of movies tonight, so it's a big question mark about who's going to win the top award. Can I have the envelope, please? The winner is... Chariots of Fire! Welcome back to another episode of The Envelope, please, everybody. The podcast where we watch and discuss every Best Picture Oscar winner in chronological order. We're your hosts. I'm Sam. I'm Rance. All right, here we go. 1981. Um, I only have a couple of notes here about this year's ceremony. The first one, of course, I think being the most obvious, that we have a best makeup category finally being introduced uh, with an American werewolf in London taking home the first award. Um, I think it's wild that it took this long for makeup to be introduced into the Oscars. It's such an important part of filmmaking and has been an important part literally since the beginning. It just, yeah, it's crazy to me that it took this long. (laughs) Let, well, let me ask you a little question here. Do you think mm-hmm. that if this category had existed, um, that one of these things would have happened? Okay. Okay. Would mm-hmm. Ben-Hur have 12 Oscars? Would West Side Story have 11? Would Gone with the Wind have nine competitive awards? Ooh. <sighs> would Gigi have 10 that's a really good question actually my my cabaret have one one more you know cabaret i think is definitely cabaret for sure the other ones well particularly ben hur i'm a little like god i hope not because of all the brown face going on Uh, yeah Uh, same with west side so i would hope the academy would not honor that kind of makeup work but it was also a different time so i guess there's no telling um, yeah, I, I, I hope not, but a cabaret I definitely could see. That's, yeah. That does have some really, really fun makeup work. And hairstyling. Think, you know, it's makeup and hairstyling now, and I think um, grouping those two together makes sense, and I think cabaret is a really big standout. And I think if that award had existed in 39, it probably would have gone to Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's a good call. I can see that happening yeah. for sure. Oh, definitely. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, but Gigi, that, that been... <laughs> Gigi might have picked up. It was Gigi won nine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nine. So three. Gigi probably would yeah, have picked up a tenth had that ex- You're probably right. Existed, I can see that one. You know? Yeah, yeah, they were pretty cuckoo bananas about it, so I can see that they happening. Were. But I love that I love that Rick Baker is our first winner, though. There's something kind of special about that, and I think that's kind of wonderful, so... I'm not yeah. totally mad about it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, this year is interesting. It's the second time um, that three different films were nominated in the Big Five, um, which is oh. an interesting set. That happened in 1967. There were three movies I believe Graduate, Bonnie and Clyde, and, um, uh, oh, gee, 67. Yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be. Uh, it's, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, of course. Yep, Um, of course, Those three were nominated in all five, um, and so this year is the second time that has happened with, uh, Reds, Atlantic City, and On Golden Pond, so... Mm -hmm. Um, that's really so this interesting. is a, yeah, and this is a, that's the fact that three different movies get the big five. I said this at the top of the show, I, going into the best picture, um, I, I think it was anybody's guess this night Absolutely. because the awards have been spread out pretty evenly amongst the top nominees and, um, the screenplay awards, you know, you had Chariots of Fire won one on Golden Pond. 
one or the other. You got um, film editing, which is another big um, indicator, went to Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is another nominee for Best Picture. You got director going to Reds. And then you have the acting categories. Um, Arthur was not nominated um, for Best Picture, so you you throw Mm -hmm. that out. Reds went supporting actress on Golden Pond for actor and actress. Like, that is really evenly split amongst uh the winners atlantic city is the only one who really didn't get a ton of love that's Um, true yeah that's the one that i actually haven't seen i can't really comment on that one but i really do want to see it i've heard it's uh burt lancaster's like best performance so i'm actually really curious to see it a funny uh funny joke from the ceremony uh johnny carson hosting again and um he uh He's talking about how many veterans were nominated this year. And he says, um, you know, it, it's really quite a year whenever Best Newcomer is going to go to Burt Lancaster. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Cheeky. Uh, I know. Um, and then uh, um, he also, um, he, had a, he had a few good lines. Apparently it was raining... Um, on this particular cer- ceremony, so we said they were going to pass a squeegee down the aisles for people. <laughs> um, and nice. uh, Bob Hope was in attendance. This is his first time attending the Oscars um, since he uh, stopped hosting. And they call him out, and he he stands up in the audience. And so it's a nice little a nice little moment. Um, True. I want to highlight one more thing about the ceremony before we get to okay. the meet. Um, this year, very emotional moment. Um, Barbara Stanwyck wins an honorary Academy Award. Yes. And several <laughs> years prior, they paired the two of them together um, as presenters at the ceremony. And he took that opportunity to pay tribute to her because... Um, his first big movie in 1939 was a movie called Golden Boy. He was her leading man in the film. And, um, and, uh, he, she fought for him to be in the cast and she stuck up for him on multiple occasions. And so he kind of felt his career was owed to her. And Mm. the thing he wanted most for her is for her to win an Oscar and so when she got her honorary Academy Award, she closes the whole thing by saying, um, He always wished that I would get an Oscar. And so tonight, my golden boy, you've got your wish. It's just a really sweet, sweet, sweet moment. And That's um, really sweet. And, and, you know, we've talked about her a few times on the podcast. She was nominated for, I think, four or five awards yes barbara stanwick is probably the most criminally deserving i mean like criminally unrecognized and most deserving actress of the golden era she's very modern in her um in her performance style um and a lot of her performances date very well because she is so uh feminist in her in her entire persona she might not have been in real life her politics were a little to the right but she um she definitely comes across as this very strong capable um person and she is able to do all these different types of genres and do them very very well and so i'm glad that the academy saw fit to recognize her i wish it had been for double indemnity but what can we do yeah, I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. At least she has a golden boy. Um, okay, so let's move on to the snubs, because I actually don't have any snubs this year, so I was curious if you had any. I um, I couldn't find any. I was like, you know what? I kind of agree with what was nominated this year, actually. You um, you didn't feel like uh, Superman 2 was, was snubbed and all that? <laughs> you know, that, that just didn't quite make my list no <laughs> well it's kind of a i'm i am superman 2 is better than three or four it's it's not um it's not superman the movie that's that's all i'm saying um right this is this is kind of a weird year because um because 
you have a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark nominated for Best Picture, a kind of movie mm-hmm. that doesn't normally get nominated for Best Picture. Um, True. I mean, there are a few. I, Body Heat's a pretty good movie that isn't really represented. So I, I could see an argument for that. Although, again, the only... I, there's nothing <laughs> that I'm really partial to. I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with with you yeah um yeah i mean my my personal favorite movies of 1981 all got pretty strong nominations so i'm actually quite quite content with our our slew of nominees now who actually wins the awards i'm not quite as content with but we can get into that a little bit later (laughs) that's uh that's a little bit different a story that's about the (laughs) that's about the only about the only snub and it's not something i i really feel the need to talk about but body heat is a very iconic film it brings us kathleen kathleen turner into the conversation and i love kathleen turner and um and Body Heat is a is a great example of early '80s um, kind of neo noir. Yes. So um, very true. So it, I would have liked to have seen some love for that, but it's not. I don't think it's necessarily better than anything except perhaps one film which we'll discuss. <laughs> I know where that's going. <laughs> okay, then let's In a let's while. get into some spotlights here because okay. I have a special spotlight. Okay, I'm going to talk about Meryl. Uh, she is nominated this year for the French Lieutenant's Woman. And I feel like out of all of her nominations, this is one of the ones that's a bit more obscure to people. I feel like mm-hmm. people don't really know about this movie. And it's really, really good. I want people to know about this film. It's um, it's a really cool setup. It's about two different um, affairs that are happening at different time periods. The first one is set during the Victorian era, and it goes on between a paleontologist and the mysterious French lieutenant's woman. I have set myself beyond the pale. I am nothing. I am hardly human anymore. I am the French lieutenant's whore. And then the second affair being depicted is uh, between the two actors who are playing those Victorian characters in a modern-day filming of that story, which is a really, really interesting, like, framing device for a screenplay. I love that. Uh, And it plays really, really well. Uh, So they're both played by Meryl Streep, and then Jeremy Irons is the man who's the actor and then also the paleontologist. And they're both really, really good. I don't think Jeremy Irons was necessarily snubbed for best actor. I think he does better work in other movies, and the best actor lineup here is actually pretty great. So I don't think he deserved a nom, but Meryl Streep absolutely does. Her two roles in this are crazy. They're so different, what she does in both of these parts. Um, And I'll say, like, the Victorian-era scenes are definitely the ones that shine more. Uh, than the the modern day storytelling in this movie, but both are necessary for the final gut punch of the movie, where only one couple actually ends up together. I'm not going to tell you which one. You guys are going to have to watch it. Um, but besides that, uh, this movie's probably uh, it probably includes one of my favorite shots of Meryl Streep ever put on film. It's really really iconic. If you you probably have seen this shot, um, even if you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it's the one where Meryl Streep is standing out on the pier with the waves crashing against the rocks, the winds blowing against her face, and she turns to camera, her hood's up, yes, and the yeah. camera slowly, like, zooms in as, you know, we see her face, and it's, um, yeah, it's quite breathtaking. She, I don't know, she just has such a gift for emoting with her eyes, and it's, this is a great example of that. Um, her Oscar name, uh, nomination is very well deserved, um, even if just for that shot alone. However, um, I do still think, though, that Catherine Hepburn deserved this Oscar for On Golden Pond over Meryl. Um, but I also love that this is the only time where we get those two actresses competing for Best Actress. This Does is the only time that like- it happens. It feels almost like a passing of the baton in a way. Does, yes, you know what I'm it saying? does. It's, it does. Particularly I, since yeah. Meryl wins next year. You know? Exactly. Exactly. You know? Too. I mean, it's, this is two of. I don't want to say the two greatest actresses, but certainly two of the greatest actresses of all time. Yes. You know, and of course, and, Hepburn's the one who wins. <laughs> and the one who has won the most Best Actress Oscars, and the one who's been nominated the most in the same exactly. category. You know? Yeah, so I think um, it's, this is a really cool um, spotlight for that, too, where it's, 
you, we never see these two compete ever again. And I just, yeah, I love that it happens here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in Meryl Streep, it, it's interesting for you to highlight this one. Meryl Streep is notoriously kind of, um, I mean, she makes she makes jokes sometimes, but she can she kind of uh, shrugs off a lot of the greatness that's thrust upon her. And there is a clip of her talking on the Graham Norton show about not liking this movie. Then oh, really? Did she say why? Or she doesn't actually say the title, but it's very clear which one she's talking about. And she, <laughs> I think, it had something to do with the movie within the movie concept yes. of her not feeling like she separated the characters enough. Or it was a personal thing. Hmm. It was something she didn't okay. like about her performance. So gotcha. But it's oh, that's but interesting. She's, yeah, no. Um, you should you should look it up, Sam. I'm surprised you haven't seen that being <laughs> I know I should. <laughs> I just think it's funny. This is the one that she singles out as being not her favorite and not out of Africa. Interesting. Whatever. We'll move on. <laughs> um well, I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay in the category then. Okay, and cool. Bring it on. Let's go ahead and, and just highlight Catherine Hepburn right now. Ugh, Spotlight. Please, Catherine let's Hepburn. do it. Numbers of the door. Um, I, I was a latecomer to Catherine Hepburn. My, um, I blame my father for this. He doesn't really like Catherine Hepburn very much. And so I just never really watched anything with Catherine Hepburn. And sure. I think the first movie I saw with her was Bringing Up Baby. Um, and then, cause I got a Cary Grant box set. Cause I just went gay all of a sudden. And then uh. I saw, um... And then I saw Stage Door, which is incredible. Um, and then I was like, okay, maybe I like Catherine Hepburn. Um, you know, and saw, and then gradually saw more and more. We've talked about Summertime. You know, you can go back to the 55 episode and how much I love uh, that performance. And a lot of times, though, I, I Catherine Hepburn's one of those people who probably deserves I, you can't really say she doesn't deserve four oscars but you're like are these the movies she should have won for because you don't see a win for long day's journey into night you don't see a win for suddenly last summer you don't see uh, a win for summertime or uh, philadelphia story or any of the other things that people usually discuss when they're talking about her work um, the only the the best of the the winning the wins is probably the line in winter, which is a tie. Yes. So that so people don't even really end up talking about the performance; they talk about the tie. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's a deserved tie. It's that's the exact outcome that should have happened. But um, <laughs> and we discussed that before because you cannot. It's it it is a Sophie's choice. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. That's very true. Uh, um, but the thing I love about this, of you know, she has a slightly smaller part than Henry Fonda, I would say. Mm -hmm. Henry Fonda is, his relationship with um, his step-grandchild and his relationship with Jane Fonda are kind of the focal points of the movie. For anybody who hasn't seen it before, um, On Golden Pond is about... Um, Catherine Hepburn and Henry Fonda, who play Norman and Ethel Thayer, um, they return every summer to their summer home on Golden Pond. And um, this, they get a letter that their daughter Chelsea, played by Jane Fonda, a real-life daughter of Henry Fonda, is going to come visit, and she surprises them with a new husband and his son. And then they have to go off together and they leave the son with the with his new grandparents. And it's about Henry Fonda kind of recapturing his youth and relating to the kid. And then there's the reconnection and the last act between um, the father and the daughter, which um, is a lot of the reason that this movie ended up coming to be because... Um, Jane Fonda desperately wanted to do a movie with her father and she bought this project uh, for them and part of the reason that she bought it is because she thought the relationship in the movie was very similar to her real relationship with Henry Fonda and she very much wanted to have that moment at the end of the movie. But I'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk about Katherine Hepburn for right now. 
Catherine Hepburn has kind of, I think, a difficult assignment in this movie because she isn't as much the focal point, but she definitely has the second most things to do in the movie. And she, it's physically challenging for somebody her age in her late 70s at this point because she um, has to dive into ice cold water at one point. Right. Um, she um, has some inhibition. She has some inhibiting factors that could have brought down her her performance because at this point, uh, Catherine Hepburn was very noticeably uh, dealing with um, tremors, um, hereditary tremors that made her hands and head shake. And so throughout the entire movie, it is very obvious that she has these tremors. They could become the most distracting thing in the world, if not for the fact that she just happens to be such a consummate performer that somehow was able to adapt her mannered style to fit this very small story, this very realistic movie. And she ends up delivering, I think, the most important lines in the movie. And this is a script that is dense with wonderful quotes that you could use to live your life by. But my (laughs) favorite line, uh, maybe of all time in anything, is sometimes you have to look real hard at a person and know they're doing just as, just as, they're, mm. (laughs) you're going to cut this in. I don't know where it is in the movie, but you'll find it. Um, Sometimes you have to look real hard at a person and know that they're trying just as hard as as they can they're just trying to find their way just like you. And it's just the most beautiful line because it, it asks you to step out and realize that everybody's just trying to live life. And yeah. it's not about you no matter what they're doing. Yeah. And empathy. It's so it's, imp- it's about empathy. And that ends up, I think, being the point of the entire movie. And so, yeah, she kind of acts as this kind of angel on the shoulder throughout the entire film. But she does it so beautifully, and the and the little banter that she has with Henry Fonda is so realistic. You totally buy that they've been married for decades, and you totally buy the relationship with the child and the relationship with the step-grandchild, and the scenes with um, the scenes with uh, Dabney Coleman as <laughs> the. Um, as the new husband are, are hilarious. Henry Fonda also very much earns his best act. Like I'm, I'm glad that this was what he oh, went yeah. for. This is oh, such yeah, a beautiful too. thing to one for, went for. And neither one of them were at the ceremony um, because he was too sick and Catherine Hepburn never went. Um, and so uh, I'll briefly mention Jane Fonda does accept for Catherine, for Henry Fonda. Um, because uh, he's not there, and she pays a really nice tribute to her dad. He died only a few months after this happened. Catherine Hepburn, also not there, was um, one. It was her fourth Oscar. Jane Fonda was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and had she won, it would have been her third Oscar. The next day, Jane calls Catherine to congratulate her, and the very first thing Catherine Hepburn says is, You'll never catch me now. <laughs> God, I love that. <laughs> you can find Jane doing that quote on YouTube, by the way. It's in an interview with Coco Peru. But um, uh, anyway, so uh, I really think that Catherine Hepburn, uh, you know, in her twilight years, you know, she lived for another 20 years after this, but in the twilight of her career, she delivers, I think, one of her seminal performances and uh i think she and henry fonda capture a lot of how i felt about my grandparents Mm. in in one movie you know yeah yeah it's really really special on golden pond is such a really really good movie um there's a scene in it what i think the scene that sticks out for me with Catherine hepburn it's so simple but it's just so effective in the character she that she's creating it's where she's either she goes in the woods picking either berries or flowers and it's where jane fonda kind of kind of like slinks up behind her and watches her for a minute and she's just like singing a song dancing around by the trees and picking up and it's just yeah it's so sweet and like jane fonda watches her smiling and kind of cracks up and she's just so in her element and it's it's almost just like 
like this isn't even a performance like they just kind of let Catherine Hepburn be you know but it's like but so it still works. is and she's so smart you know I you yeah, know I love it um I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the two moments that probably clinched her the Oscar one mm. of which is the famous speech which is in the AFI top 100 quotes of all time Mm, um, yes. Oh God. Yeah. We need to talk about this. Yes. This which, is a great speech. <laughs> it's this is so the scene. Good. This scene comes, I think, like about twenty minutes into the movie. Um, it's pretty early. I think it's before Jane Fonda even shows up, and Henry Fonda gets lost in the woods, and he he comes back, and he's really he he breaks down to her a little bit, like I didn't know where I was, yeah. you know, and. And then he sits down, he's all defeated, and she says, and she delivers it so beautifully. You're my knight in shining armor. Don't you forget it. You're going to get back on that horse, and I'm going to be right behind you, holding on tight, and away we're going to go, go, go. And then he has a little, a minor cardiac episode at the end of the film. Spoiler. Yep. Um, and for a second, it looks really dire. And she, they, she's just frantically trying to get him help. And, um, and the, and the, the phone isn't working and all this other stuff is happening. And they end up having this absolutely beautiful moment towards the end of the movie. And it's just like, Man, it it's is, what you want like, love to be. Yes, because like what happens is like he's you're laying on the floor. You're sc- he's laying on the floor and she's trying to phone somebody, and then he just calls to her and says, you know, please come here. And the look on her face, she thinks that it's the end. She thinks he's like, come here, I can feel it, I'm going to die. And you just this see, is... it, and all she says, she just looks, at, she just looks, and she just goes, oh my god. And she drops the phone. She gets down there, and it's yeah, it's, oh, uh, it's it's like. That might be the most suspenseful scene of any Best Picture nominee this year, even Raiders of the Lost Ark. That scene is so suspenseful. (laughs) Because you're so invested in these characters by that point. And um, that's where her tremor actually, I think, enhances the performance because she's she's shaking. Yes. And and you can tell her, you could tell that stress probably made it more intense. Yeah, and definitely. that really helps that moment too. You Absolutely. feel also like you so rarely see Catherine Hepburn in color. I know she won for two other color films, but in my head, she's just eternally a black and white. And in this right. movie, I think partially because she's probably paler than we're used to seeing her too. Her blue eyes are just like, mm, you know, yeah, she, that's so true. And her eyes are so effective. I. I I love this. I love that they both win too. I think that's such a beautiful. It's so great because yeah, yeah, you really can't have one without the other. They just complete each other in this movie. And to, to what you were saying earlier, you know, um, they feel so much like they are a married couple. I watched this movie when I was little for the first time. I think this was actually my introduction to Catherine Hepburn. Mm-hmm. But when we watched it, I remember my parents. I think telling me that like Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda were. This is like a father-daughter movie. And then I think in my head, I just then assumed that Catherine Hepburn was the mom. I, For a long time, I thought Henry Fonda and Catherine Hepburn were husband and wife, and Jane Fonda was their daughter. <laughs> for a very long time, I thought that. <laughs> well, Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda in every story always says, like, I don't think Catherine Hepburn liked me. And, oh, no. And she, you can find lots of clips of her talking about this online, but she talks about how she was going to get her stunt double to do her backflip into the into the pond and then when she found out that Catherine Hepburn well then Catherine Hepburn said something to the effect of she was going to do her own dive and Catherine Hepburn said something to the fact the effect of are you going to do your own backflip or something like that and she (laughs) and she was like uh yes yes i am she was so intimidated by her well (laughs) Catherine hepburn is just so blunt and like has no filter and just says what she wants to so i can see where that can come across as abrasive but i'm sure she liked jane fonda just fine (laughs) apparently jane says the first thing she ever said to her was i don't like you Oh, I'm well, sure she was me. Maybe she hated her. She was probably joking. <laughs> she probably she was. was. It sounds like it's her sense of humor. She apparently did give Henry Fonda Spencer's hat. You know, that's a big famous. Wow. Spencer Tracy's hat. Yeah. 
So, you oh, know. Wow. Um, anyway, uh, in case it's not clear, we really like this movie. Um, I love On Golden Pond. It actually is a really special place in my heart. I did On Golden Pond as um, an acting performance in high school for our drama club and made it all the way to Allstate. Thank you Who very much. Who did you play? Much. I played Norman. <laughs> oh, my I had God. To, like, pretend to be so old. <laughs> it's a lot of character work. <laughs> I am about to say. Uh, it was a blast, though. So, yeah, I love... I love this movie. I gotta tell but you, it, at, at yeah. 33 in the gay community, I totally relate to Norman. You get it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so true. However, 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 Rands, On Golden Pond did not win Best Picture. A different movie yeah. did. Yeah, Let's get another, into Chariots let's... of Fire. I'm um, okay. Did you just play the song? You just played the song, didn't you? It's just playing now. It is. It's um. Okay. Okay. Here, I'm gonna give. A, I'll give a quick plot here, real quick. Go ahead. You do that for people listening who probably haven't seen this movie. Because why would you, unless you were forced to? This plot uh, is about a the true story of Olympic track and field runners Eric Little, who is a devout Christian. And Harold Abrahams, who was a Jewish Englishman, and it's about their journey to Olympic gold medals at the 1924 ceremonies. So, if it wasn't clear, my hot take is I did not care for this movie. Uh, I thought it was incredibly slow. The ending falls short of being inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what's what's your hot take? Uh, uh, it, it's so funny because you you would think it's de- it's dealing with issues that are pertinent um, to today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are in, we're in a time with record anti-Semitism. You know, um, and so and so it, it should come across now is very relevant and and maybe maybe if you're really into running it does but um i i just don't i i I feel like it falls short in its um depictions of prejudice i feel like the emphasis is on the uh, supposed christian prejudice which i mean i I mean, I don't know what it was like in 1924 in England, but I mean, like, okay, he didn't want to run on Sunday. Cool. Okay, listen, that was my biggest thing, too. I was like, the climax of this movie is him not wanting to run on a Sunday. We're supposed to feel bad for him. I didn't give a shit. I was like, he should leave. He should not compete. I'm sorry. <laughs> this yeah, is stupid. It's a non-problem. I, I just thought, yeah, no, I I thought it was, I don't know. I, it, I, I just didn't, I didn't care about that that journey yeah. um i it has I'm zero dramatic religious, tension in that. i'm all for religious freedom it's just uh it just seems such a slight thing to yeah. build a story on <laughs> yeah. and i would have been more interested in the in the jewish um runner's story personally yeah. and i felt like we didn't get as much about that other than like no. You know, like, oh, these guys are anti-Semitic, but then it doesn't end up causing any issue. But, like, also, the anti-Semitism, like, all those remarks really only occur in, like, the first third of the movie. And And then then they kind of die down. Yeah. Yeah, And then it really doesn't become much of a problem. I was really upset because... I thought there was going to be some type of big... Yeah, and, like, his race is literally, like, his final, final gold medal race is, like, 15 seconds long. And then we immediately cut to um, Little, the Englishman's race, or, you know, him switching over to running the 400 instead of the 100. And I'm like, that's it? That's our, our, like, (laughs) uh, conclusion with that character? It pissed me off, actually, because, like, it's really set up, the first, you know, uh, half of the film is really set up like it's going to be a showdown between these two running the 100-meter dash. And we don't even get that. No. We don't even get that. Which, this is... so mad. (laughs) Which, you you can't change history. Right. Since this is based on a true story. But you don't set up a story to feel like it's going to be one thing. Or at least like it was going to be a showdown 
between two people who are so religiously opposed to one another and they have to, you know, learn to work together or learn to love each other or, you know, something. Yeah. I I just don't know. It just felt like, I just felt like we were light on conflict. Um, Yes. I I didn't ever feel like anything was in danger. I didn't, um, I didn't feel any tension. Yeah. And it was, it was a very pretty, but very dull film. Yeah. Also, how many movies like this without women are we going to have? Oh my gosh. And then like the, God, this is my other thing too. The pretty much the only like main female role was Sybil, who is the girlfriend to um, the character Abrahams, who's played by um, Alice. I think it's Krieger. Krieger might not be pronouncing her last name right. Um, but her performance is awful. I thought she was terrible. It was incredibly one note, very poorly developed. It's also just a very poorly written character. Um, yeah, we could have, have done without didn't... her. It's just well, yeah. And then great, no women. <laughs> And then we would have no women. I just feel which, like you know, I don't know what's worse, having a poorly written female character or no female character. I don't know. This I think is they're just both something. Terrible. This is just something I feel like we keep running into. Um, yeah. You know, last year we really like ordinary people, but you know, it's obviously a super male heavy. I, I'd say film. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. sixty. It's at least sixty five thirty five male. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Kramer versus Kramer has more of a male perspective. Meryl Streep really is a lot of the reason why that persre- that perspective comes through deer hunter you know women barely exist you know <laughs> yeah. annie hall is a woman's story told from a man's point of view rocky is a guy's story one flew over the cuckoo's nest is a guy's story i just um you know i'm just <laughs> going to say women your time was so overdue and i am so sorry that this new wave of filmmaking just left you behind because it was a man's club but i mean look at it look at what we have here a a male director a male producer a male writer you know what i mean there's no perspective for women there's no perspective exactly now an interesting note that i read about um david yeah go go ahead ahead. no no no, No, i'm I'm changing the subject Oh, I am too, so... Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to say, the producer, David Putnam, while we're talking about this male-heavy mm-hmm. um, presence here, he said that he wanted to make a movie in the mold of A Man for All Seasons. That was his, like, inspiration for this film, because he wanted to follow nothing. somebody who... Yeah, right? He, but, like, his goal was to, like, show, you know, the audience uh, another character who... Um, uh, who follows their conscience no matter what the cost is. And I'm like... The only cost is him not running in a race, but the cost for Paul Scofield and Man for All Seasons is he's going to lose his fucking head. I'm like, no, these two do not equate equally. I'm sorry. Dumb. No, and, Dumb. And also, also, we don't... I don't think the Olympics are set up enough. Does that make sense? Like, they're, they don't feel big enough when they happen because... Yeah. Oh, it, totally. It, it, you know, they just... Um, and they, sh- I don't know. It's it's almost like we should have been planting from the very beginning of the of the movie in a larger, heavier-handed way of like, okay, gotta get to the Olympics. Gotta, I mean, like this is yeah. everything's on the line. The Olympics, the Olympics, the Olympics, and then you get to that moment. And you're like, well, I'm not gonna. Then maybe you've built gravitas into that moment. But I feel like they were coasting more on just people knowing that the Olympics is a big deal. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I. It, but you're right. The Olympics did not feel like a big deal. They honestly just felt like another race. Oh, another race. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then the fact that but we weren't the music even getting those two running against each other. Yeah, no, the music, okay. The only Oscar, well, that's not true. I agree with two of its wins. Score okay. and um, I think it's costume, right? Yeah, costume. I agree oh, yeah, with yeah. those two wins. They're yeah, the, the art direction the costume design, all that's great. Um, yes, and the... this is an iconic score, easily, Yes. It is. There's times when the electronicness of it kind of takes me out of what. Did they take you out? In. Yeah, I was thinking about that too because it doesn't feel period. The actual you know. theme works, but there's a few yes. moments that are a little too yeah. electronic, and I know it's like the first of its kind, so I'm forgiving yes. that. It does feel but, a modern, um, but no, you're right. I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, we we were lavishing praise on On Golden Pond. Do you know what On Golden Pond has? 
It, it had a have. it had Jane Fonda as a producer, and that and look it at makes the a huge difference. It, it makes, makes a, a huge difference. Huge difference. Huge. The, okay, I want to talk about another thing too. Let's get into ahead. the supporting actor nomination for Ian Holm. This drives <laughs> me insane. Insane. <laughs> Not that he gives a bad performance; he's perfectly fine. But this is by no means an Oscar caliber performance. By no means. To me, this was like a very like, oh God, subpar like ripoff of Burgess Meredith and Rocky. It really felt like that, did it not? Yeah, and and you know, I know that this whole episode is just talking about how much we love On Golden Pond, but <laughs> but there are two supporting performances in On Golden Pond that are perfectly solid, that could fit in the male category. Probably not going to put the boy in there, but I would love Dabney Coleman to get a nomination. Because um, he deserved one for 9 to 5. He and deserved one for 9 to 5. He's a bit more slight in On Golden Pond. I don't know if I would slide him into the The scene category, where they talk but... about sex is literally one of the best things I mean, that it's has ever funny. happened. It is funny. It's, <laughs> he's great. He's great. And you know what? He does I'm just, just saying, as much it's as better Ian than Ian Holm. Holm. You're right. It's, it's as Absolutely. good as Ian Holm. Um, it's I mean, I like is. Ian You're Holm, right. too. But at least he... I mean, at least he, John Gilgood winning for Arthur is good. I'm yes, okay no, that's that. perfectly fine. He's great in Arthur. That's totally. the best that we can do. It just, like, it made me think, like, I don't know, the Oscars have okay, this fascination with, like, trainers the and, like... Do. Do you, <laughs> what are you singing? The theme from Arthur. I said it was the best. Oh. The best that you can do. Um, it's fine. You, it's okay. fine. You totally missed <laughs> my, my joke. There, I, I just have to say, our frequent, our most, our number one fan, Carmine, is a huge fan of the film Arthur. He thinks it should have won everything. He wanted to put that in here. Did he want he, Liza to get a nomination? I'm pretty sure he thinks Liza <laughs> should have been nominated for something. So, just acknowledging his opinion that it should be in the best. It and and. It, better than Chariots of Fire, so that's fine. It is better than Chariots of Fire. It's a good comedy. It is actually a really fun movie. I saw Arthur a little while ago. It's really, really good. I like it. It's fine. Liza would be, like, supporting, though, right? Yeah, and she should not be get a nomination. No. <laughs> she. Um, but it would be in supporting, but no, she doesn't deserve it. Um, before, there, there's another big heavy hitter in this category that uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a great film. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? I just want to great. say. Great. It is a great film. movie. It is an excellent action-adventure suspense everything film. Um, yes. It may be my favorite Steven Spielberg film. Um, I, I like love, it. I, I like I'm it as, okay with that choice. I like it as much as Jaws, personally. Um, and, and I think... I think... Uh, the fact that it's part of a franchise makes it kind of like hard to look what it's like in 1981 looking at this movie because it becomes right before it was a franchise right and it's actually one of the better besides the one that came out in 10 or so years ago it's actually one of the better franchises you know that the trilogy in the 80s is very solid the lat the um temple uh what is it last crusade temple of doom last crusade yeah Last Crusade is excellent, um, mm-hmm. but Raiders of the Lost Ark, by on its own, without anything else, is a legitimately great um, textbook action-adventure film. It has an amazing performance from Harrison Ford, great chemistry with um, Karen Allen. I'm your goddamn partner! Um, yes. And introdu- has incredible score. Actually, I think a better score than... Chariots of Fire is as iconic as Chariots know, of Fire is. I know, but we can't give John Williams an Oscar for every movie he does a score for. I'm we not. Can't. Even though we Just want most. to. Even though, we, even though I would, but I know. I know what you're saying. <laughs> it's an um, incredible score. <laughs> yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark is, is, a, is a truly great movie. I'm so thrilled to see it in the Best Picture race. It's not what I would pick as the Best Picture of the year. It doesn't quite feel like a Best Picture, but it is. I'm so glad it was nominated. 
Yeah, yeah, me too. I I do love Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, have you? Okay, have you seen Reds? I haven't. That's uh, the big one I that's missed fine. this year. Honestly, Reds is kind of like Chariots of Fire. It's incredibly boring. It's way yeah. too long. And the really the only good part of Reds is Diane Keaton. <laughs> She's really the only good part. <laughs> we really like actresses, in case this wasn't clear. Um, I think it's just like when we actually feel like a female presence in a movie, it's like, oh, oh, they're oh, better. They Movies are better when they have a female presence. It's just, yes. it's just um, accurate. But with that being said, like, Maureen Stapleton, who wins for Reds, um, this is definitely a career win. It is not a performance win. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not give the best supporting actress um, performance. The winner should have been Jane Fonda. Let's be honest. I'd be okay <laughs> with Jane Fonda having three Oscars. Yes! This is far yeah. in a way. Honestly, I think this is actually my favorite Jane Fonda performance, if we're going to be... If we're going to spill some tea. Since we've already dubbed this the On Golden episode... Um, yes. How many times do we get golden in the title? Come on now. This is an Oscar podcast. Um, my favorite story that she tells from the making of this movie is the big scene in the film. It's a quiet little scene right at the end with her and her dad where she asks them, asked him whether or not they could, maybe we could be friends. And yeah. you know it's something that she probably wanted to say to Henry Fonda her entire life. And so that yes. already adds a layer to it. And she tells the story where, you know, Henry Fonda was big on rehearsal and big on doing things, you know, the same way every single time. And so they did every single take. They did the, like, the two shot. They did her close up. And then the last shot they did was his close up. Okay. And she saved one tiny thing to do for his close up because she wanted to get something out of him something authentic something real and so after she says you know maybe we could be friends like she's holding back tears she reaches out her hand and touches his arm and it's very small it's very slight but you see him cover his eyes when he says um could you think you should could come around more it'd mean a lot to your mother and uh. he's he's covering he's covers his face because he start he starts to well up and get tears in his eyes and it's because Jane Fonda brought this bought real like something that was about the two of them out of the moment you know and then he has to like deflect it immediately and be like you should come back for your mother not for me like bitch yeah just I, tell I her recognize... you love her just tell her you love her and hug her <laughs> i mean my my grandfather was so similar to this character, you know, so and my dad's relationship with him was, I think, pretty similar in this, you know, um, that kind of stoic, don't show yeah. any feeling, you know. Oh, yeah. Be- yes. That's very boomers, right? Very like. Well, very older of that boomers. We're older boomers. Like, yeah, yeah. We're doing like Depression era people, you know. Right. And uh you know, it's uh, it's just such an interesting journey, and I'm so glad that Henry Fonda, Fonda did. I mean, like, he he maybe should have won for maybe. I mean, like you you let Jimmy Stewart keep it, but he maybe should have won for Grapes of Wrath <laughs> <laughs> or Twelve well, listen, Angry Men. Jimmy, well, here's the. I mean, he definitely should have won for Grapes of Wrath, and Jimmy Stewart should have won the year before, as we all know. For Mr. Smith goes to Washington, <laughs> but it ends up working out because he doesn't screw anyone over by winning this year, um, and because uh, Burt Lancaster already has one, Paul Newman's going to get one. Dudley, yeah. Dudley Moore was never going to win. Warren Beatty won an Oscar for directing instead. So I mean, yeah. like, so he doesn't screw anyone out. Just like Catherine Hepburn wins a fourth one, and Marsha Mason's the only one who goes home empty-handed in the end. You know, that's yeah, fine. Poor Marsha Mason. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, okay, to wrap this up in a neat bow, are we in agreement about what should have won Best Picture? 
Yes, far and away. The best picture of the year is on Golden Pond. <laughs> and do you, I just want to say real quickly, this movie made $119 million at the box office in 1991. I was going to bring that up. This movie made a shit ton of money. Like, if you were to, like, I feel, I want to know what that is, like, with um, inflation and stuff, like, what it actually amounts to today, because it's, that's a big hit. That's a um, big hit. I mean, to give you some perspective, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark... Probably um, made more. <laughs> it made more. Um, so, Rares of the Lost Ark won, had $212 million. On Golden Pond, 119 is the number two highest grossing movie of the year, higher than Superman 2 and Arthur. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did it say how both... much Reds made? I'm curious. How much did Reds make? Reds is not in is the, that top, even 10. On... Wow. Yeah, not the top 10. Wow. That, that feels so, correct. This made more... On Golden Bond made more than the Bond movie that was released that year. It made more than the movie Cannonball Run or Chariots of Fire. Um, it it was a humongous hit. That is insane and makes me so happy. And in case you're wondering how much $119 million is in today's dollars, because I know yes. everyone's curious... I am using my I'm inflation calculator curious. right now. Um, okay. It is $345 million. Wow. That is insane. Mad respect to the 1981 audiences who made this movie a hit. Yes, <laughs> they flocked to... But it makes sense. I mean, we talk about you know the components of filmmaking that we love and we respond to writing and performance and this movie nabbed all of those oscars you know yeah so it speaks for itself i mean we love a family drama and it's core that's what this movie is i love it um i love it anyway thanks oscar you you got a couple of the categories right but uh Guys, yeah, I, I honestly, in good faith, I can't even recommend Chariots of Fire unless, like, you have to watch it for some reason. It's, find something else to do for two hours. <laughs> Anything else. Bingo. Bingo. Well, yeah. speaking of okay. long movies, we have quite a long one to watch for next week, Rance. So we're going to be talking about the 1982 Best Picture oh, winner, the 80s. Gandhi, <laughs> next week. It is... Three, it's over three hours. Candace Bergen's in it, so probably for like a minute. That. Yeah, I know. I'm pretty She's sure everybody who worked in Hollywood is in this movie. Yeah, I'm just the only but, thing that's getting me through is knowing that I'll see Candace Bergen. That's very true. The only thing getting me through is knowing that I can talk about Meryl Streep again. <laughs> oh yeah, next year. Okay, join us next week, everybody, as we cover 1982 <laughs> or Sophie's Choice. <laughs> and Tootsie. We were going to talk about Tootsie, which is okay. another one of my favorite movies of all time. So 1982 is actually a really, really good year for films. So I'm excited to get into this. Um, I've never seen Gandhi. Have you seen Gandhi? No, I haven't. I'm okay. aware of him. This will be a first for both. I'm, I've heard of him. <laughs> yes. Well, this will be a first for both then. Awesome. Beautiful. All right, guys. So just join us next week, and we will talk to you about Gandhi. <laughs> 